Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Catholic Avenger. Um, in this episode, I would like to try to discuss a little bit about sin, uh, mortal sin, uh, temptation, at least the structured temptation from my own understanding and um, dealings with it, and um, kind of the different remedies and things that have worked for me and um, remedies that I have read about that help me deal with temptation and sin, and hopefully will help you deal with temptation and sin. So, first off, to define sin, what is sin? Well, uh, from a couple... So, first of all, uh, most of my knowledge on uh, the faith comes from the catechism. It comes from um, theologians like Thomas Aquinas. It comes from other Catholic speakers and priests and people I trust that are deep within the faith. Um, so, yes, but as for sin, um, Father Mike Schmitz, which is a very popular priest... And this is also described, I believe, in the Catechism as well. But sin is described essentially as missing the mark. What does it mean to miss the mark? To miss the mark means essentially that... Um, so I guess sin is disorder is a disordered good. You know, God created the earth, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and said it was good. A disordered version of a good would be a sin. So, for instance, a good that God created is love. A disordered version of love would be lust. So essentially, when you lust, um, you're missing the mark of love. You know, you're taking what would love would say if you love a person. You love a person through and through for their body, you know, their body and their soul and who they are. If you lust them, you remove that individual person from their body and you basically just lust the flesh. You look for the flesh and you ignore the personhood of that of that body soul composite and therefore you're disordering that good there's also in the cap in our wonderful catholic faith there are two um basically definitions of sin or two types of sin there's venial sin and mortal sin so venial sin um as described is basically slight sin or sin that's not super serious but it's still in my personal opinion all sin all sin is serious but venial sin is less serious. It doesn't doesn't break your relationship with God, um, and it's not necessarily intentional. Where mortal sin, first of all, mortal sin has three aspects. Um, there has to be three basically principles that are met to make a sin mortal. To make a, mis a sin mortal, it must be grave matter. So grave matter meaning it's one of the seven deadly sins. Um, it's something very serious that could hurt your relationship with God. The second principle is it must be committed with full knowledge and awareness. So you must be fully aware that the action itself is sinful. So for instance, lust. We know lust is sinful. And if, if you were taught in a basic catechism class or a basic uh, religion class, you're taught that lust is sinful because you know, Christ teaches that to look upon a woman with lust is to commit adultery. So if you are fully aware of that teaching and you know 100% that lust is bad, if you lust, you're, you are fully in, and you fully know it, that's a really bad thing. The third principle is it must be committed with deliberate and complete consent. Now, what does that mean? Deliberate and complete consent. That means that, let's say that um, you're a habitual sinner and you're an addict for some reason. So let's say that you're, um, I don't know, like addicted to sex or something. If you're, if you're a sex addict, you're not in complete control and in complete consent of the sin you're committing. So for that reason, even though 
sexual sin in itself is grave matter and is usually mortal if done with deliberate and complete consent. If you are addicted to it, the I guess the gravity of it is lessened slightly. Now, obviously, it's still grave sin and you need to get help, but it's not necessarily mortal because you don't have complete consent and your will isn't completely free. Now, if you, let's say that um, you know a sin is, is bad, so, like, for instance, lust, um, you know it's bad, it's grave matter, and then you completely consent to it. So, let's say, and complete consent doesn't have to be a giant rebellion. I believe, uh, Fonda Mike Schmitz also talks about this in a couple of his podcasts and videos. Basically, it doesn't have to be, a com- like, a complete re- rejection of God. It could literally be, there's this temptation that pops in your head. You see it, you recognize it as a temptation, but rather than say no to it and say yes to God, you say no to God and say yes to it. And that is enough, unfortunately, to commit a mortal sin. So, you commit mortal sin. Now what? Well, if you're in a state of mortal sin, first of all, you have, you've fallen out of a, a state of grace with God. So state, basically, when you're not in mortal sin, you are in a state of grace with God. So you're in complete, you're in communion with God, you're, you know, you're, you've completely oriented your will towards God. You're looking upon God and you, you're trying to commune with him. You're trying to be in communion with him. When you commit mortal sin, you take your will and you reorient it away from God. So like missing the mark, what we said earlier, you, you reorient yourself from, so you're looking at God, you're turning your back on God. That's why it's important to remember that even when you sin, God loves you. But you, you're so like some people feel like, I guess, uh, abandoned by God when they sin. Well, a lot of it is actually you abandoning God when you sin. Like, God doesn't stop loving you, but you, by your own free will, turn yourself away from God's love. And it makes it harder for, I guess, yourself to experience God's love because you're no longer in a state of grace. You've turned yourself away from God. Now what? Well, the Catholic Church teaches, uh, especially with mortal sin, um, that the only way for mortal sin to be, um, I guess, expunged in a sense is you have to go to confession. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I have it in front of me right now, and it says, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Moment, please. In Catechism, I believe it's uh, 1456, it says, Confession to a priest is an essential part of sacrament of penance. All mortal sins of which penitence, after a diligent self-examination of conscience, uh, must be accounted by them in confession, even if they are most secret and have been committed against the last two precepts of the Decalogue. For these sins sometimes wound the soul more grievously and are more dangerous than those which are committed openly. So, because of apostolic succession and because of the powers and the, um, I guess, the authority that Christ gave to his apostles when he said... I'm paraphrasing here, but um, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Whoever sins you uh, forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain are retained. That authority was passed down through apostolic succession, you know, an unbroken chain of popes, an unbroken chain of succession to all of the priests and clergy that currently serve us. And because of that, they have authority to forgive sins. And the church teaches, again, that if, you, or if you've committed mortal sin, you must go to a priest and... Uh, you know, receive counsel and forgiveness. Now, first of all, what a beautiful thing to be able to, if you know, if you're, you've messed up, 
you realize you've messed up, and rather than, you know, leave you, you know, I don't know, how do I explain this? Basically, rather than leave you broken, God, Christ has given us a way through his mystical body, through his church, to seek him again, and to find him again, and to allow him to find us again. You know, he hasn't lost us, but we've lost him. But he calls us back like the prodigal son, and to the father, calls us back and wants us, and really longs for us to be in communion with him. Um, I believe Father Mike Schmitz also, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a pretty big fan of him. Father Mike Schmitz in his book, um, Pocket Guide to uh, Reconciliation, or Pocket Guide to Confession, um, there's a there's a part where he mentions, essentially, um, you know, people have this attitude where they go into confession that they're begging God for uh, one more chance. Like, one more chance, please, God, give me a chance to not, don't, please don't damn me to hell, please give me one more chance. But in confession, Father Mike explains it's actually the almost the opposite, where God is begging us to give him one more chance. He's not saying, um, you know, he, well, I mean, of course he wants us to seek him, but he's seeking us. Like, the prompting of the fact that we want to go to confession, the prompting to pray is God seeking us. So he's asking us, please give me one more chance. Please let me love you. And then by going to confession, we're making the act of free will to say, yes, God, I will let you love me. Yes, God, I will let you forgive me. And that. So essentially, you know, that's mortal sin, that's sin. Um, now, usually the way sin occurs, at least from my understanding and my own experience, unfortunately, is that it starts with temptation. Now, this is not official, this is not official church, church teaching, but this is just something that I've, uh, of, um, through reflection and unfortunately experience with temptation, um, I've come up with a, essentially a structure for how temptation is usually delivered by the, by the evil one to tempt us, like how, how, how they, I guess how temptations are structured. So I'm going to try to go over it with you just to give you an idea of, um, so you, maybe perhaps so you can discern whether or not a thought that's coming to you or a prompting that's coming to you is a temptation and then to help you to defend against it. Because it's easier to defend against things when you can kind of recognize them. You know, it's like recognizing a, um, I guess, I, I, I guess recognizing an enemy or having a strategy, a strategy to a degree. But this is my, at least through reflection and through going to confession and just kind of reflecting on my own falls, I've come up with this structure of how I believe temptation is delivered. Or at least delivered to us or... I guess, enticed to us. So I've broken it up into stages. So the first stage is the initial enticing. So the evil one draws you in with images of bliss and comfort. It should be known that only bliss and comfort come from God. So if the actions that are supposed to lead you to bliss and comfort are not of God, the whole thing is a trap. So if you think of something that you think will bring you pleasure, but you know that it is not something God would want you to do, it's a trap. And again, I'd like to reiterate, again, this is not an official church teaching. This is something that I've, again, the structure I've um, developed and kind of reflected on from my own experience, and then also from uh, a book that I've, um, that I've used for my own, um, I guess, betterment, in a sense. It's, it's called the, um, Manual of Conquering Deadly Sin. A manual for Conquering Deadly Sin. It's a really good book, especially if you're struggling with um, deadly sin. It's a very important book that uh, kind of outlines more uh, church teaching. It includes um, quotes from uh, saints 
from early church fathers discussing their strategies for dealing with deadly sin and um, their prayer life, essentially. But as I was saying, so the, the, basically the initial enticing is there is this evil thought or this the evil one draws you in with this thought of really beautiful, really like this is like the best idea you could possibly have. But you but if it's something that could give you pleasure or something, but it is not something that God would want you to do, then obviously it's a trap. The second thing, the lure. Now that he has you enticed, he continues to frame the action as a good. That it's simply misunderstood, or that perhaps you were overthinking it. Because how could something that feels so good be mortally wounding to your soul? Now, at this point, if your angel or your conscience start to kick in, you may begin to criticize those good thoughts. And, and this this mainly comes from, I guess, where you, when the temptation starts to grip you, you start to reorient your Again, reorient your will from God to the temptation. So, these thoughts that are coming from God that are like reminding you, no, you're a child of God. No, you're a good person. No, remember, this is bad. Remember, Christ teaches against this. Don't do this. You start to, I guess, push those thoughts out because, I don't know, it's just something that the way that when temptation takes hold, unfortunately, your will shifts. Um, basically, your own selfishness has begun to listen to the evil thoughts, and drown out the good. Now, the next stage is what I like to call clarity before the storm. And this usually is right before the temptation converts into sin. So it's that little, like, climax between you're climbing the mountain of temptation and you're on the peak. Now you have the choice to either climb back down the mountain where you came up or climb down the side that, unfortunately, leads to suffering. So right before the temptation converts to sin, there is this strange moment of clarity where you have the ability to choose. If you start to choose against the sin, this weird dance of temptation starts. Basically, I don't know. Basically, this weird temptation thing where, so like if you start to resist the temptation, it draws you in. And then you start to do this thing where you, you're kind of testing it to see if it's a temptation or not. And it's it, this is a trick, obviously, because Unfortunately, at this point, your will is starting to give in. So, and this can be anything from bringing yourself on the verge of sin and then backing out to imagining the pleasure of the sin. Now, beware. If you enter this stage, there are only two outcomes. One, you sin. You fall because you're weak and did not seek God. Two, or freedom. You remove yourself from the situation by choosing by changing your thoughts, invoking the Lord, and physically changing locations. Now remember, we are body-soul composites. We aren't purely spiritual beings, but we are a combination of both body and soul. And because of this, like the sacraments, which meet us on our physical, psychological, and spiritual levels, we need to meet some of these challenges on our, on our physical, psychological, and spiritual levels. So if we're being tempted, we need to you know, change our thoughts, we need to physically change the location of where we are. So maybe like if they were tempted in our room or we're tempted in our kitchen, we need to pick ourselves up and try to move out of there if we can. And then we need to pray. We need to inv invoke God. We need to call on God and, and ask him to, for his assistance. Remember, seek him. Use your free will to seek him. Now, let's say for all intents and purposes, unfortunately, you fall to option one. First, remember that although you were tempted, 
No one else is to blame except for yourself for your own folly. Well, why? Because you had the free will to not choose sin, but you did. Now, after the sin is committed, you will be filled with a plethora, a plethora of emotions. For a moment, you feel the, that the emotion that was promised, so whatever pleasure or whatever you were promised through the sin, you feel it for a moment. But the strength and gravity of the promised emotion is not what you thought it was going to be. It is bland and only lasts for a few moments. Next, the reality and the gravity of the action that, that you just took sets in. The same evil one who was tempting you and enticing you with these quote-unquote good thoughts will begin to accuse you. His plan from the very start was to get you to turn from God. Now that he has gotten you to turn your back on God, he will now try to make you feel that there is no mercy and no way back to God, that God couldn't possibly love you because of the way you acted. But you will then fall into despair. Despair is the evil one's favorite tool because not only did he get you to voluntarily turn from God, but now he will attempt to keep you trapped in this thought, uh, basically of this cycle of sin through despair. And unfortunately, with each time you sin, from uh, basically, my unfortunately, my own experience and just um, from hearing stories of friends and other you know, fellow um, Catholics, each time you sin, unfortunately, it becomes easier to sin because you slowly distance yourself from God. You slowly, you know, continue to distance yourself from God um, and you get, begin to be in a deeper and deeper disconnect from God. And it's not because God has turned his back on you, but it's because you continue to turn your back on him. You keep, there's moments where he gives you grace to try to pull you back in and you just keep saying, no, God, no, I want this. And you just keep turning yourself away from God. And again, you keep saying with your actions, no, God, I, I don't want you. I want this. Now, the only way to repair this relationship is through sorrow and contrition. And for sins of the mortal nature, as we discussed, you must attend the sacrament of confession as soon as possible. Now, I say the reason as soon as possible is because, you know, seek God's grace as fast as you possibly can, as soon as you possibly can, because it, it's there for you. He wants you to seek him. Don't allow the evil one to trick you into falling despair and darkness, but instead seek the light. Now, a way to prepare to avoid the temptation from the start now to avoid all of this is to arm yourself with the word of God and prayer. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, so if you're starting to go down a road of temptation or you have a thought, seek God. Pray to your guardian angel. Pray to an, a favorite saint of yours. Pray to God. Ask him to please, please grant you the grace necessary to resist this temptation. Um, pray the St. Michael prayer. That's one of my favorite prayers to pray because I, you know, I call on St. Michael who, you know, defend us. Um, in a book, uh, the book is uh, forged by Matt Fradd and Jason Everett, uh, they recommend, especially people who struggle with certain sins of uh, the flesh, to um, carry a rosary. Because not only is it a powerful um, spiritual weapon, you know, given by our Blessed Mother to St. Dominic to fight the Albigensian heresy, but it also, you know, itself, it, it's um, a sacramental in the sense that it reminds us of something holy. It's a physical object that reminds us of something holy. Um, it has, it's basically the gospel on, on beads. And it's something tangible to hold in your hands to keep your hands busy with something holy rather than allowing your hands to be empty and to possibly be filled with something sinful. 
Um, it's a physical presence of God's love and basically a reminder that the Blessed Mother is always praying for us. And again, the, the, the fact that it's a physical tactile feeling, it's um, working with that, remember that thing where I was explaining, that we're mind, we're, mind, uh, we're psychological, physical, and spiritual beings. So it deals with the physical. It allows us to, you know, keep our hands busy, keep our minds away from sinfulness. And it reminds us of holy things. Now, if you feel a temptation grow coming on, um, I always say, because, okay, you know in the book of Revelations where they basically, where, they where John describes um, Satan as a dragon? Well, imagine you're fighting the dragon. Each time you have a temptation, you're fighting the dragon. Well, if you're going to fight a dragon, you need a sword. So grab your rosary. Your sword is your weapon. Your rosary is your weapon. Rosary is your sword. So keep it on you. If you feel a temptation, grab your rosary, draw your sword, and start praying. You know, hold it, you know, to physically remind yourself of God's presence. And it's not just the mental aspect of it, meditating on the mysteries. It's, you know, it's our Lord. And he gives us an outlet to pair our suffering with his, to hand it over him for him to destroy it. So, again, grab your sword, start praying, physically move yourself out of that situation. Wherever you are, try to just move yourself out of an area where you're, where you're more prone to sin. And just keep praying and, and you know, call on God. Fight it tooth and nail. It's best, it's not, maybe you'll, you may trick yourself into thinking, maybe face a temptation head on to see if you're strong enough to fight it. No, don't do this. I believe it was St. Augustine that said this. I could be wrong, but if you're faced with a temptation, run the opposite direction. Don't think you can face it. It's a trap. Don't think you can, you're going to somehow demonstrate how strong you've become because you can face it. Don't try it. Run. Get the high ground, as Obi-Wan says. Get the hell out of there. Don't, don't try to, don't, don't try to face it to prove your strength because you you need to seek God. So run the opposite direction. Run towards God. Run away from the temptation. Don't go into the temptation. Run away from it. Go to God. And remember, you know, mortal sin especially, you know, it affects the soul in a very, very permanent way, in a very deep way if, if it goes unconfessed. If you, unfortunately, if you die in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, you can go to hell. Now, let's say you die in a state of mortal sin, but you are repentant. Again, it's up to God's discretion. God is very forgiving. God is loving. But it's up to God's discretion. But if you die in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, unfortunately, it's likely that you will go to hell. And remember, so seek God. Pray the St. Michael prayer, especially. Pray the St. Michael prayer if you, if you feel a temptation coming on, if you're in the middle of a temptation and you and you feel you found yourself in it, don't run towards the temptation. Run as fast as you possibly can away from the temptation, to the temptation and pray to St. Michael. Ask him for his assistance. Now, import, the most important thing to remember, though, is that God loves you. And his love for you is magnificent. He's for you and not against you. He is more merciful than you could possibly imagine. He offers us the gift of grace, but we have to accept it. Not only 
not only like reflect on it, but we have to accept it. We have to make the free choice to say no to Satan, no to the sin, and say, yes, Lord, I choose you. You are enough. And with that, hopefully, you'll be able to fight temptation a little bit easier um, just by being able to recognize the structure a little bit better. And hopefully, you'll be able to, again, remember that God loves you. He has just abundance of mercy. And all he's waiting for you, he's waiting for you in that confessional, that if you are in a state of mortal sin, go there and seek him. And don't allow, okay, because I, I, I know I've come to, I've succumbed to this temptation as well. Don't allow, um, like, a, a bad priest or a bad um, confessor to deter you from going to confession. Priests are human beings, just like us. And they're not Christ. You know, they're there to represent the church and the authority that Christ gave the church, but they are human beings with their own flaws. So, if you don't receive the counseling that you thought you were going to receive in confession, or you don't feel like you were entirely heard in confession, the important thing is that the sacrament was done. The sacrament was administered. The sacrament's efficacy is just as efficacious with a fantastic priest as it is with a priest that isn't listening or isn't, um, you know, consoling you. It, the, the fact that you're going through the sacramental process, the sacrament is efficacious regardless. God's love and mercy will pour out through both a, you know, not a great priest and a fantastic priest. God's love is there. If you feel like you need more counsel, you know, seek out a, a spiritual advisor. You know, try to find a spiritual director. Talk to other Catholic friends. You know, do that type of thing. Seek out books and materials. There's all sorts of wonderful Catholic materials. We have a very beautiful, as a wonderful 2,000 year old church, we have wonderful a plethora of information on fighting sin and loving God. And it's just, you know, it's a very beautiful. That's one of the beautiful things about our tradition and magisterium. We have this wonderful. 2,000-year-old just art piece of <laughs> information and history and just just beautiful writings that are very inspirational of saints that will hopefully lead you to Christ. Okay, so um, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover at the moment. I'm hoping next episode we'll be able to talk about either some deeper parts of, um, I guess, deeper nuances of this, um, as well as go into some other parts of the catechism and kind of break apart different sacraments so like this is kind of like my little overview of like the sacrament of reconciliation and sin but i hope you guys enjoyed um, thank you for allowing me to pour out my heart to you and kind of my experience with this as a, as a young catholic man uh we're all on this journey together as i believe it's uh, father mark mary from ascension presents likes to say um but yes we're all on this journey together we need we need each other's prayers, so please pray for me. I'll pray for you, and uh, have a wonderful night. Thank you, and God bless.